On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, Certified Financial Planner, Certified Investment Management Analyst, and Co-Founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with your host, Brent Mikosh. Brent, always good to be with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, and I'm I'm excited about this topic today. So, you know, uh, some of the listeners might know my wife works at Mayo Clinic, uh, and at her insistence, every single year I go down there and do a physical. But what I can tell you when you walk into the Mayo Clinic, obviously world world class health organization, uh, arguably the best hospital in the country, if not the entire world. Although I'm biased, but you walk in there and you, you're around people that have quite a bit of means in many cases. But the one thing that that uh, brings everyone to the same level is when you have any kind of health issue that occurs that you want to take care of. And yeah. I think that the one thing that that uh, the Mayo Clinic and, of course, our doctors here in Western medicine in general is really good at is correcting problems after they've occurred. Like if I get run down by a truck and have to get put back together, yeah. mm-hmm. I want a Western doctor to do it. I don't know that we always spend enough time focusing on longevity, focusing on some of the decisions that we can make to not just extend the length of our lives, but also increase the increase the enjoyment, increase the, 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 the happiness quotient, I guess that we get from, from feeling good and feeling fit and everything else. And so today to that point, I've got a really special guest on his name is Billy McManus. Now he's, this guy's not a doctor. However, he's got a financial services background. I've heard him speak a ton for Hartford and I've always really loved the presentation because what he talks about generally is, is how do you retain these, these brain functions that you have? How do you not only just expand longevity, but really expand the quality of your life? And so we're going to talk about a lot of those, a lot of those key points today. And I you know, really hats off to Hartford for taking some time to recognize that this is a really important piece of people's overall lives, you know, away from the finances. Because if you don't have your health, I mean, seriously, what do you really have? So with that, Bill, thank you so much uh, for joining me. And those that are going to be listening on Spotify, Bill is wearing his signature bow tie, which I always see him wearing when he's pre- presenting. If you're watching this on YouTube, then you see it as well. But Bill, I've always enjoyed hearing what you have to say. And before we dive into this longevity stuff, do you want to give a background with how you got how you got with Hartford, how you got into this business, but then how you made this turn into longevity. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And, and thanks for having me, uh, Brent. Great great to see you. Great to be with you. So yeah, I've been with Hartford Funds for uh, 20 years now. Uh, I started on the on the sales side, uh, but about a decade ago, uh, I moved to what's called our Applied Insights team. So I've, I, I've always loved the you know investment side of what we do, but as you know, there's a lot more to it than that. So what we've done at Hartford Funds is we've strategically partnered with really some of the top thought leaders in the financial services and, and adjacent or relevant Industries and we work with them uh, developing content and then ultimately you know delivering uh, it out to, to the the public. For example, one of our you know longest standing, our deepest partnerships, which ties exactly in what you were just speaking and what we're going to talk about today, is our relationship with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and this program they have called the Age Lab. Uh, so the Age Lab, as you can imagine by virtue of the name, studying aging, changing demographics, the impacts of extended longevity, as, as you were discussing, Brent. You know, if you go back to 1900, which in the grand scheme of history is really not that long ago, life expectancy in the industrialized world was less than 50. 
you know, we fast forward to today and, and the prospects of living into our 80s, 90s and beyond is is pretty much expected. So if that's the case, um, how do we ensure that as we are experiencing this extended quantity in our lifespans, the quality is there as well, just like you were saying in your, in your opening comments. And that's what the work that the Age Lab is really focused on. And, and we do a ton of work with them, um, ensuring that, helping people, helping people anticipate right future needs. Uh, Dr. Joe Coughlin, the founder of the Age Lab, he's, he's toying with this concept of 100 good years. So, you know, a couple things to take away from that. First is the number, right? 100, but then it's good years, right? We want to ensure the quality is there as well. So that's, you know, a lot of the work we do with the lab and it ties perfectly into what we're going to discuss today. Yeah. I think we've all seen that. We've seen people that are advanced in age, maybe they're eighties, even nineties. I mean, I've got, I've got one client, the woman's 96 years old. I think she's way sharper than I am. And then you've got other people that the aging process, it seems like it hits them a lot sooner. And, you know, you talk about this concept of the fact that your brain may not be the same age as you. And, and what do you mean by that? Yeah. So I quick to set up the, the topic for today, just uh, to give credit to, to the partner that we have in this particular concept or this idea of retain your brain. Uh, we partnered with Dr. Mark Milstein. So he's a PhD from UCLA. Uh, he's a leading uh, scientific researcher on neuroscience, health and happiness and what him and others like him have done is I've really been able to give us uh, some great ideas, some real workable, uh, I th I'd say, solutions to uh, improve our brain health, boost productivity, and maximize longevity. So to your point, uh, the question you were asking before, Brent, what Dr. Mark says is our brain age may not be the same as our chronological age. Uh, and, you know, you could have somebody who's in their 60s or 70s who could have the brain age of somebody in their 40s or 50s or, you know, unfortunately, on the other side. And we'll get into a little bit why that could possibly be. And what if, how, how do you even measure? So I'm 50 years old. I turned 50 in June. How do you even get a sense of, of based on my cognitive functions, the kind of horsepower I have here upstairs? How do I know what my brain age is? Yeah, there's a couple things that, that Dr. Mark recommends, and it, it, it's not a test, right, when you're not writing down numbers on a sheet of paper. It's just more of a general assessment. So there's really five areas that he he talks about. One is how well can I manage my day, right? Forgetting to pay a bill or an appointment every once in a while, that, that's fine, right? That that just happens as we you know go through our chaotic lives. But if we notice with increased frequency that, that we're having a little bit harder time managing sort of simple day-to-day -day tasks, that could be potentially a, a red flag. Um, how well we can remember important information. And, and this is one that we're, we're just challenged in the world that we live in, right? Because what do you do with anything that's any important information that you have, Brent? What do you do with it? On your phone. You, it's you put it on your phone, you put it on your yeah. computer, right? Recall is, is kind of a use it or lose it. I, you know, I joke around, I can tell you both sets of my grandparents' phone numbers from when I was a child. Uh, if you ask me for my dad's number, my girlfriend's number, or my sister, I couldn't tell you, right? Even if you offered me $1,000. So what Dr. Mark recommends is, you know, can we try to test ourselves a little bit more regularly? Uh, so do a trivia night. If you have your to-do list, turn it over, right? See if you can remember it. We want to keep we want to keep working that that muscle, let's say, so to speak, around recall. So that's yeah, the to, second area. But go yeah, ahead, Ben. And to that point, I wonder this because, you know, I... I my goal is to go through 52 books every single year. Mm -hmm. And uh, last year, it might have been five of them might have been hard copy. The rest of them were audio books. And I consider that you know, having gone through a book. This year, I've noticed that I think that in terms of the work it's actually doing in your brain, holding that physical book and actually reading through it is far more useful. Is it that kind of thing that you're talking about? 
Yeah, I think so. That's just your 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 learning. We're going to talk about cross training, learning new things, and how important that is uh, towards towards the end. But yeah, if you're you're you know combining something like that, you know, there's going to be a, a different benefit to doing that as well. I mean, obviously they're both good. We're learning, but uh, we do see some benefit to you know reading that physical book. And I'm sorry, so that, you, you were into your yeah, five, nope. your five yep, things so, here. Yep. So the third one is um, how well can I move and maintain balance? So um, our balance, our posture, what we find is people that have optimal balance and, and posture, they can reduce their risk of, of Alzheimer's and dementia. You know, it's kind of interesting when we meet somebody for the first time, uh, the, when we go to assess, get a sense of how old they are, the first thing subconsciously we look at is actually their balance and their mm -hmm. posture to so just get a gauge of that. And this is another one that's kind of use it or lose it, right? When, when we're kids, we're running around, we're on jungle gyms, we're on playgrounds, right? As we get older, we just don't do that type of stuff, you know, on a regular basis. So we want to test ourselves. We want to do golf and yoga, Pilates, anything that can continually improve our balance. That's going to be doing good things for our brain health. So that's, that's the third one. Uh, the fourth is how fast can I walk? So we're going to talk about walking in a, in a little bit as one of our sort of lifestyle factors to help uh, keep our brains young and healthy. But walking is is really important. Uh, Dr. Mark recommends walking like 30 minutes a day, and it doesn't even have to be at the same time. Uh, so if we're walking 30 minutes a day, and the other thing we want to try to do as we're, we're walking is increasing our gait, taking, you know, four to six of those 30 minutes and increasing our speed. Because what we found is if folks that have these youthful, you know, younger brains uh, are able to to walk a little bit quicker. So that's the fourth one. And the fifth one I love, uh, the fifth one is how old do I feel? Uh, we find that people that have a, a positive outlook to the aging process can reduce their risk of dementia by up to 40%. So it's wow. kind of amazing how just that, that positive perception that we have can really have an impact on our brain health. Is that so, basically because you're not, you're not, I guess you're not starting these negative feedback loops where you're absolutely. telling yourself if you're telling yourself you're old, you're going to feel old. Absolutely, and you're going to start acting old, and that's going to affect some of the things that we're going to talk about. Probably sleep and diet and all the things that we're, we're we're going to mention that are good for our brain health. If we have that negative perception, we're probably not doing those things, at least with as as much intentionality as folks that do have that positive outlook around it. Yeah. So if we looked at these five points and we we kind of have a, a feeling where we're at with all those, what's next? How how do we how do we maybe take some some steps forward in terms of our overall brain health? Yeah. So what we're what we're looking to do is we want our brains to be young and healthy. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about what I mean by that. And the real reason that we are so excited to have worked with Dr. Mark and put together this presentation is there is a lot of optimism around brain health. You know, just a she's a decade ago, you know, you would hear things like, well, that's just a normal part of aging that's going to happen to me or it's genetic. I've had family that have had you know issues with cognitive decline. It's going to happen to me. That's just not the case anymore, uh, or, or based off of the research. Um, as a matter of fact, 95 to 99% of cases of Alzheimer's are not strictly genetic, right? The genetics can play a role, it can raise or lower risk, but it's not determinate. So what we found through this research from Dr. Mark and others is we, we can do a lot to, as we were talking before, have that brain age be lower than our actual age. And really, it's all about having a clean brain. Uh, our brains um, are, are about three pounds. Uh, they make five pounds of trash a year. And, and the, the trash is broken down uh, chemical reactions, proteins, things like that. It's just a natural part of being alive. It, it just happens. Um, so what we want to do is we want to clean out the trash. And a lot of these lifestyle factors that we're going to talk about are ways to do that. You know, when I first saw you with this statistic, five pounds of trash a year, you know, I was 
I was always under the impression your brain was essentially operating in this closed box where, you know, there's a blood brain barrier, nothing's going in, nothing's going out. And, and you're saying that's really not the case. That's not the case. So uh, through something called the glymphatic system. So we, we can talk about sleep a little bit more and some tips around it, but, but sleep is one of the best things that we can do. It's our greatest ally for our, for our brain health. And here's the reason why. Uh, when we sleep, we sleep in these 90 minute cycles and we get into stages of deeper sleep. But when we get into stages of deep sleep, uh, what happens is our brain will actually shrink down to about 65% of its original size. It's scary. It sounds like a horror movie, right? Uh, but our brains will shrink down to 65% of the, si the size, give them what we call a brain squeeze, and it creates empty space between our brain and our skull. And then fluid uh, will come up from our spine, spinal fluid, and it'll clean out the trash. Again, it's called the glymphatic system. And then it you know, gets into the bloodstream and, and the kidneys and is dispelled from the body. So that's going on every night as you sleep. Now, is that only if you're in like deep sleep versus REM? When's that actually occurring? So it happens in the later third of these 90-minute cycles. So when you get into that stage of deep sleep, that's why the sleep is, is so important. Uh, that we're getting into those stages. Now, again, we'll, we go through the cycles, but that happens, the brain wash happens in that deepest stage of sleep. And, and when I first heard this, that was pretty staggering to me because it's almost, you almost feel like you'd be damaging your brain by by squeezing it down like that. But you're, yeah. but you're, you're saying, the research is all saying that's absolutely necessary. It flushes out dead brain, dead connections, plaques, anything, any of these other things that build up. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's good for us for the next day, right? You know, oftentimes you wake up and you have that sort of foggy feeling and just because you didn't get a good night's sleep, it's because you, your brain didn't get that that proper wash. But then as you can imagine, there's a cumulative effect, uh, certainly over time, whereas if we're not getting that on a consistent basis and, and things are working properly, that's where we allow that trash to build up. And, and you know, when the trash builds up, it, it's, I mean, think of it as, as a house or a city, you know, a city, right? If, if they don't take the trash off of the streets when it's out, you can't get around, you can't find anything. So that's what's going on in our brains, basically. And how much is that impacted by uh, what your diet might have been, alcohol consumption, things like that? Because in the last couple of years, I started wearing a sleep tracker. What really was stunning to me was that if I went to bed, maybe had you know, a glass of water a couple hours before I went to bed, got a good night's sleep, I might not have even felt like I got more or less sleep. But the, the quality of sleep that's being measured versus, let's say, I split a bottle of wine with my wife, it mm -hmm. is, is night and day different. So how much of uh, how much of your dietary intake or what you're eating, drinking has an impact on, on the efficiency yeah. of that brainwash? Yeah, absolutely. So diet is obviously extremely important, right? So And, and the reason it is is because there's a, a, a gut-brain connection. And, and what we're trying to do is reduce inflammation because inflammation in our gut can spread up to our brain and can contribute to accumulation of brain trash, so on and so forth. So we want to be eating things that are, you know, anti-inflammatory. So what Dr. Mark recommends is, you know, fish and um, uh, nuts are really good for, you know, reducing inflammation, olive oil, kind of like the Mediterranean diet is very similar to what we, what they call the mind diet vegetables, obviously, uh, eat the rainbow, not Skittles. Uh, but, yeah. but, you know, we want, we want to look down and see a lot of colors on our, on our plate. Really what Dr. Mark recommends in terms of diet is, and I think it's kind of a good rule of thumb and it's, it's kind of simple is whole natural foods, 80% of the time, right? If, if we're doing that, we're doing good things for our gut and thus our, our, our brain health. And I think that that's manageable. You know, we don't want to, eat things where, you know, we look at the back of the label and it looks like a chemistry experiment, you know, the list of ingredients. I can't remember if I told you this story. Have you ever been to the Museum of uh, Science and Technology in Chicago, Brent? No, never. 
Yeah, they have a unopened Twinkie, and it's been unopened for something like 20 years, and it looks like you just took it out of the wrapper, and it, and it looks delicious. There's probably not things in there that we want to be eating on a regular basis. Whole natural food, most of the time, then we're doing good things for, for our brain health. Yeah, that, that's something that I've become increasingly passionate about. We had Dr. Lufkin on, I guess, a couple months or so ago talking about uh, talking about a lot of things that at least have helped for him in dealing with chronic diseases. And, and for me, what I've found is it's really... Is the food real or not? Very similar to what you're saying. You know, if, if it's heavily processed, you can see the difference if you're tracking this data. The next day, you didn't gain two and a half pounds overnight. It's your body is inflamed because yep. you had a rotten meal versus, you know, you can have a, a good glass of French wine if you have even a lean cut of meat and, and some fish. You don't have those same impacts. And and for me, that's just something I've become very passionate about is what can you do to get these ultra processed foods out of, out of your, your diet? Because it seems yeah. to me like those are just the brutal yeah absolutely you know another good rule of thumb you want you want to eat things that are going to spoil right that's just sort of another another kind of rule of thumb to think about but exactly what you're talking about we want we want to reduce the amount of the the overly processed foods now you know all these things and we're we're going to dive into some further topics on this but you know none of them i think everything in life is hard it's a question of which hard you want to pick you know you can pick the hard that is maybe being a little bit more cognizant about what you're eating or you can pick the hard that is an increased likelihood of dementia or health issue down the road. You pick your yep. hard because one of them is going to be harder. None of this, our conversation today is not about the economics of it, but I think it is important to address it. Like what's the true cost of Alzheimer's and decline and brain decline in both, you know, we know what the emotional cost is those of us have dealt with a loved one that have, that have, yep. that have experienced this, but what, what's the, what's the financial cost to the, to the country? Yeah. So we've got, um, you know, progressive cost of care, depending on, you know, the, the level of need uh, that we have. So, you know, on and these are just national averages and obviously they could they could, you know, vary widely. But, you know, a home health aid is averaging around sixty thousand dollars a year. Uh, assisted living facility around fifty four nursing home over one hundred thousand, one hundred and eight thousand. And then if you have memory care, you can add anywhere from twelve to fifty thousand dollars a year on top of that. The other thing uh, about it is, you know, on average, you know, Alzheimer's patients live like four to eight years, but we're seeing just because of advances in other medical, you know, technology that we have able to extend that. I know um, my grandmother who had, you know, Alzheimer's, we kind of thought, you know, that four to eight years, you know, based on this was a while ago, based on what we know, and she had lived almost 15. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's the, the kind of unknown that can really have an impact you know, they say that the you know estimated lifetime cost of dementia care is somewhere around four hundred thousand dollars, but certainly we could we could see that be raised uh, certainly a lot higher. Yeah, and and not all of these costs are are borne by the federal government. I mean, a lot of people think that Medicare is going to just pay for all this stuff, and that's really not the case. Yeah, no, social services doesn't pay for um, well, Medicare doesn't pay for you know long term care, nursing home stays, um, Medicaid, you know, with with some testing and, and income and asset limits, things like that. But, you know, relying on social services for, for this kind of care is, is not a, a prudent strategy, I would say. Yeah. And I think we've all we've all we've all seen or heard stories about people that, that toward the tail end of their life might have been put in facilities or uh, in places where their best interests were not always at the forefront. You're bringing in a, a lot of challenges just aside from, you know, the costs of the care and, and just you know, I think about the the you know we talk a lot about the the network uh, when, we, when we talk about the work with the Age Lab, just constantly reevaluating your network to help with all types of things. You know, uh, social activity, you know, things around the house, whatever it may be. Um, the more we can do that, I think it, it can reduce some of the 
excess stresses that could be associated with uh, caring for someone with cognitive decline. So the extent we can avoid this, and we obviously talked about number one, good sleep. We've got then good whole foods that aren't aren't ultra processed and will spoil if you don't eat them. I think that's that's a great <laughs> rule of thumb. Um, let's talk about lifestyle. Where's because I because th- I think again, you know, there's I don't know who coined this, but I read a ton of books, and there's always one recurring theme is that you will become the average of the three people you spend most time with. You know, mm-hmm. just because you're going to start picking up those traits, and I think that the circle of people that you have around you and what you're doing is really going to have a big impact on shaping who you are. So based on your research and, and, and age labs research, what kind of impact does lifestyle and community have with all this stuff? Yeah. You know, it's, it's huge. I mean, we've been working with the age lab again for, you know, almost 20 years and, and no matter where we go in terms of improving quality of life, as we age, whether it's around housing or transportation or whatever, maybe, Everything always comes down to social connectivity. It, it's kind of interesting. I was sort of talking about the network that you have. Um, you might be familiar with it, Brent. There's actually a, a, a study that's been run by Harvard on happiness, and it's the longest running study of its kind. They've been doing it for 85 years. Uh, and what they found through the, this research project is the number one determinant of happiness and thus health was not wealth or success or, or power or anything like that. It was the quality of the friendships that you have. So- our social network is is so important uh, for us. It's what engages us. It's what motivates us in a lot of cases. You know, we were talking about um, walking earlier, and we can get into, you know, exercise a little bit more, but, you know, something really important for our brain health, you know, sometimes we need somebody to hold us to account, right, around those, those types of things, right? So if, if we have someone like that in our network, you know, then we're doing, you know, a lot of good things. Uh, so, we can't overemphasize the the importance of social connectivity. Uh, there was a, a project, a research project. I think it was at, at BYU, but we can we can check on that. And they looked at the health equivalent equivalent of loneliness, and they said the health equivalent of loneliness was the equivalent of smoking fifteen cigarettes a day. That's how yeah. damaging loneliness is to your to your health. And, and I've heard I've heard that stat. And uh, in the wake of what we've been through as a society in the last three and a half years, particularly if you're going back into 2020 into 2021. I think, you know, you're seeing a ton now of different chronic illnesses and, and things that, that have come up in the wake of that. I got to think that's correlated. And I think we're seeing yep. it firsthand now what what's isolating people from their communities really means in the long term. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that, so you're absolutely right about that. And and I think if you just sort of think about how we meet people when we're throughout our lifespan, right? You know, when when you're a kid, you don't really have much, cha- you know, some chance encounters, but you basically just go where your parents tell you to go, right? Then Then you start school and you become more independent. And these chance encounters, they, they go up, right? They go up throughout our lives. We go to college, we start working, um, we're in a new neighborhood, right? We're just, there's just a lot of opportunities to meet people. But, you know, as we get older, you know, those chance encounters may go down, right? If, if we retire, if, you know, we're maybe not as active in the community, whatever it may be. So we like to use the word intentionality uh, around your social network, intentional about incorporating new people into your social network, younger people uh, into your social network. Um, you've seen it. You have you know, a lot of clients, folks that you work with, Brent, the folks that have that social connectivity. It's just something different, right, about sort of the way they they, they go about their lives. I'll tell you a funny story. I was home last uh, holiday season, and my, my grandmother, who's 88 years old, she lives around my dad. She always comes over for, you know, everything. But I come home, and I look down. I was at the, the kitchen counter. She was renewing her passport. She's 88 years old, and she was renewing her passport. I'm like, she was going on a, a, a European cruise. So, her social ca- her social calendar actually makes me like jealous. I'm like, man, I'm <laughs> I'm lame compared to compared to her. But you can see it, right? You, you can totally see it just in the 
overall health and just enthusiasm and, and, and activity. It's, it's so important for that quality of life as we age. So what are some other lifestyle things? Obviously, we mentioned social connections being vitally important. What are some other things that people should be thinking about? Yeah, so there's one that was kind of a surprise, uh, and it was actually talking about the benefits of stress, Dr. Mark found, uh, found and uh, through his research. So, you know, for we, you can see it all over the place. Stress is bad, right? We don't want to be stressed out. There's actually a benefit to stress in certain doses, uh, because what happens when we're stressed, you know, cortisol is released. Cortisol is the only um, chemical that's actually known to grown brain cells, specifically in the memory area of the brain. So a little bit of stress is okay. Uh, a little bit of traffic, you know, is is okay. Um, the, the person at the grocery store who clearly has more than 15 items and the 15 items are less line, mm-hmm. right? That, that's okay uh, to have that. But we certainly want to have balance, right? Think of it like your car, right? If you never drive your car, it'll probably start falling apart right in the driveway. But if you overdrive it, right, you're going to have challenges there. We want a little bit of stress, but we, we certainly want to manage it. Something that's tied to that, that Dr. Mark is a big advocate of based off of the research is breathing exercises, uh, you know, breathing exercises, meditation, things like that may have elicited, you know, eye rolls, you know, years ago, but it's, it's mainstream science now. Uh, they've actually shown that people who practice, let's just say mindfulness, right? We'll just kind of use an all-encompassing uh, term. People who practice mindfulness, even in a short period of time, as little as eight weeks, they actually see physiological changes to their brains. Uh, hmm. They actually see where the prefrontal cortex gets high, uh, gets larger. Uh, the amygdala, which is the fear sensor of our brain, actually get, gets smaller. Uh, so any type of breathing exercise, mindfulness can help manage that stress and can really do a lot of good things for our overall. Uh, the other one, we talked about getting moving, and, and that's really important. We talked about walking, um, but if anything we can be doing, you know, new sports, exercise, pickleball, right, uh, whatever it is, uh, we want to do these kinds of things on a regular basis because uh, we find that if we can find opportunities to increase our heart rate, improve our balance, right, again, doing good things for our brain health. And how about this concept of, of cross-training, you know, taking on something that um, is something you've never done before. I mean, I know there's this concept that when you're younger, your brain is a lot more elastic, meaning it's a lot more capable of learning new things. And you think about, you know, I've got a three-year-old daughter at home. And so she's, in the last three years, she's learned to walk, she's learned to talk, she's learned to, you know, do basically everything. Yep. And and her capacity to learn is absolutely enormous. And we've been told for throughout most of our lives that as we age, that, that, that those capacities diminish. First of all, is that true? And secondly, you know, what, what do you do to, to at least maybe in, increase your ability to, to, to take on new tasks? Yeah. So I think um, I'll use that word intentionality again, right? Because, you know, you're right when you're young, right? You're just constantly learning new things. But as you get older, if you're not intentional about it, you, you may not, right? And, and I'll sort of make a delineation here that, that Dr. Mark uh, mentions, because, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, well, I do crossword puzzles or Sudoku, or I've got brain games on my app. And those are fine. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. But Really, what we find if you do, you know, crossword puzzles or Sudoku on a regular basis, the only real benefit is you're probably going to get really good at doing crossword puzzles or Sudoku, but you're not necessarily learning something new. And here's why we want to learn learn new things. There's, you know, physiological uh, changes that happen. So when we learn something new, uh, something called norepinephrine, the squirts in our brain. I know again, that sounds crazy. The kind of stuff that's going up on uh, uh, going on up there, but norepinephrine, it's another. Um, Reaction that takes out the helps take out the trash and break out the trash. So that happens when we learn something new, and then uh, myelination, which is the coating around our brain. Almost think of it like um, like insulation, rubber insulation around an electrical wire. As that increases, when we learn something 
new, it allows the connections to uh, flow more freely and more quickly within our brain. So no. cross-training our brain is really important in numerous, uh, numerous ways. So we want to learn something new, read a book on a subject you don't know anything about, listen to a podcast on, on something that you, know, you, you don't know anything about instruments, uh, learning a new language. We can double up on some of these things we talked about, like dancing, right? Because dancing, we're both doing the physical activity and we're learning something new. I'd just say experiencing frustration is is a good thing for our brain, actually. So again, we want to constantly be learning new things. Yeah. And to anybody listening to this that uh, is going to take up something new, about three years ago, I took up the guitar. Always wanted to play, never did. Picked up a guitar, the guitar about three years ago. And uh, played, you know, a little bit every day, got an instructor and he was great and everything else. And about a year into it, and I'm really enjoying myself, not good enough to play in front of anybody, but I made the mistake of Googling one year of guitar progress. And you see, and you see, and you see these kids that are like 14, 15 years old that are literally like playing like eruption from Van Halen after like the first <laughs> year. And I say to my, I say to my guitar instructor, I'm like, I'm like, I totally stink at this. This is ridiculous. You know, I've wasted an entire year on this. And he's like, look, and, and I think I'm just giving everybody a little bit of grace here. He's like, you're at the time 47 years old. He's like, you got a brand new baby. You're raising a son. You're running a business. You're, you're doing all these other things. He's like, these kids are sitting in their bedrooms for seven, eight hours a day. He's like, of course they're better. <laughs> right. So, so I would say if you're going to start something new, you know, definitely, definitely give yourself a little grace and it, and it is about the process of, of doing it. And I will say from my own perspective, you, I didn't realize I did not know how to use my hands at all until yeah. I, until I started trying to play guitar, guitar, but, but anyway, yeah, but I, I found that to be really, really powerful to dip your toe in something that makes you extremely uncomfortable. Oh yeah. I think you need to work on uh, maybe it'd be like the new intro song for the podcast, Brent, get, yeah, get, no. a, get a tune going. <laughs> no one will listen. No one's going to get past the first 30 seconds. I, I did the same and I need to pick it back up, but I got a keyboard, you know, during, during COVID just sitting around and man, it, it's frustrating, right? When you can, you that's, that's right. You get on YouTube, you start looking at these people playing. You're like, why can't I do that? But again, as long as if you're learning something new, you're doing great things for your brain health. Uh, that's, that's a big recommendation from, from uh, Dr. Mark. Now let's go back to sleep because I think this is one, this is one that's really, really easy. Uh, you know, what are some of the things that obviously diet, not drinking too much before we go to sleep, but what are some of these other things that we can do to increase the quality of our sleep? Yeah. So, so three tips around sleep. Um, and, you know, ask yourself when you go to sleep tonight, am I sleeping in true darkness or am I sleeping in modern darkness? So we want to sleep in true darkness. And here's the, the reason why, even if our eyes are, are closed, our eyelids are closed, light pollution will come into our eyes and, and um, it can affect our blood pressure, our heart rate, our insulin response. So those things can all impact our ability to fall into a deep that deep state of sleep where the brainwash happens. So we want to sleep in true darkness. So just check you know, if the little red light from the TV, even if it's off, you know, if that's on, if the, the uh, cell phone charging in the corner, alarm clock, whatever it may be, we want to get the room as dark as possible. Uh, Pete Sampras, the old tennis player, he used to travel around with a roll of black duct tape and he would tape up everything in the hotel rooms. He'd tape up, you know, the blinds so no light was coming in because he found that he was able to perform much better when he slept in, in true darkness. So anything you can do to do that, uh, an eye mask, uh, just, you know, make sure that those things are off. Somebody, I was with Dr. Mark a couple of weeks ago and somebody asked about falling asleep with the TV on. And he said, that's actually fine if you fall asleep with it on, but you want to just set a timer on it because it's as you're sleeping, that light, if it stays on, that could impact your ability to fall asleep. So sleep in true darkness. The second one is we want to get natural light early. 
and what I mean by that is early in the morning. So, you know, oftentimes we think, well, I've got my right a half hour, 45, you, you know, you're, you're, you're going to fall asleep. We actually start preparing to go to sleep when we wake up in the morning. Uh, this is actually Nobel Prize winning, winning research. They call it your sleep clock. So what Dr. Mark recommends is trying to get 10 minutes of natural light within 30 minutes of waking up or the sun coming up, right? If, if we're before the sun, I know sometimes seasonally that, that can be difficult, but we walk the dog, have your cup of coffee out on the back porch, you know, whatever you can do to get natural light as early as possible. We're then setting ourselves up to, to sleep that, that evening. And then the third one is chill out. Uh, so if you ever had that experience where you're in a warm room and you're tossing and you're, you're turning and you just can't get comfortable, that that's your body and your brain desperately trying to lower your core temperature. Because what research has shown is if our core temperature is reduced, we're able to get uh, better quality sleep. And what's so those an are the ideal? Three there. What, what's that? Now, here, as, as someone that's, I, I want it like frigid in the yeah. house. And, you know, we're here in Arizona, awesome. it's 110, 112 degrees during the summertime. And uh, I'm cranking this thing down. I, you know, I mean, in terms of energy uses the bill, I don't really care. But what, <laughs> what, what is the, what's the, um, what's an ideal temperature where, where scientifically anyway, the data shows that you're going to fall into that deep sleep? Uh, so I'm trying to remember if Dr. Mark gave a specific recommendation and I don't want to, you know, say an ideal temperature and, and, um, not have that be right. So I'll have sure. to get back to you. I'll have to get back to you on, on that one. We can, uh, we can talk to him and see if there's an ideal range. Got it. Got it. Now, you know, one of the last things I want to talk about with you is uh, supplements. So, you yep. know, you, if you're watching TV or cable news or something like that, you're, you're always seeing these supplements that are, this is going to help you perform better, sleep better, wh whatever it might be. Are, are there any that are actually useful? Because I've, 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 I like experiment with different things. I cycle in and out of things. This is, this is the number of su supplements I take right now. Zero. Yeah. And I've done multis, I've done C's, D's, I've, you name it. And I usually try it for a month or two. And Ultimately, it's really around diet. Am I getting the food that's going to fuel my body? But am I wrong on that? Is are there any supplements that people should be considering every single day? So here's what Dr. Mark recommends around supplements. Um, number one, if you're under the care of a primary physician, obviously you you want to talk to your your medical doctor because as you're doing your physicals and blood tests and things like that, you know if there's deficiencies in certain supplements that you know the doctor recommends, we probably can't get that through food. Then you know you can you can go down that that path. Dr. Mark. Every time I've heard him talk about it, we we want to first try with the diet, right? And some of the natural things that we, that we talked about, you know, for example, sleep, right? There's a lot of, you know, very popular sleeping medication. You know, a lot of supplements aren't regulated by the, the FDA. So in some cases, the marketing might get out a little bit ahead of the science. And then also, you know, sometimes supplements can um, impact other medications we might take. They could uh, reduce our body's own ability to make like, for instance, you know, melatonin, uh, something like that. So always with supplements, you know, working with your your primary care physician to see, you know, if if there is a need for that, but certainly want to go more of the natural route. Uh, right. doc, Dr. Mark tells a funny story around, um, I've had the news on this morning, so I, you, you see all the uh, advertisements for the memory, you know, enhanced memory yeah. supplements. And he had a gentleman come up to him and he said, I've taken this memory supplement. I've noticed a huge difference. I can, I'm a lot sharper. I can recall things. It's wonderful. And Dr. Mark said, oh, okay, what's the name of the supplement? And the gentleman looked at him and said, you know, I can't remember it. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you want to take from that. But um, yeah, you know, supplements, again, working with your 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 primary care physician to see if you need them, but certainly want to want to kind of go some of the more natural routes that we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And if any of this that we've talked about today resonates with anybody, I, I will say this. I'm a believer in in small victories. 
like taking one action step and then you can build upon that. There's a phenomenal book that's uh, it's away from our discussion. It was called Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've read that one, Bill. Uh, but Atomic Habits, the idea is, is that a 1% improvements stacked on each other every single day becomes parabolic in terms of the changes they can make. You know, so I think today, you know, we talked about, we talked about a number of different things. We talked about sleep. We talked about diet, exercise. We talked about learning new things, cross-training your brain, community. My, my advice on this bill, and, and if it, tell me if, if you would add to this, is for anybody listening to this, pick one thing. To start with, if you're gonna if you're gonna commit to it's 30 days to make a habit, and then you can go from there. But you know what? Every night I'm gonna try to get a good seven, eight hours of sleep, or whatever that number is. Or you know what? Every day I normally stop at Dunkin' Donuts and I get the coffee and the donut. I'm not gonna do that for 30 days and see what that happens. Do you have in 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 the research that that uh, that the Age Lab has done and with the with the connections that you've got within this world? Is there set advice that they would give to people that are saying, you know what, I'm getting a little bit older. I want to make sure that the next 20 years are as good as the, as the previous 20. What steps should they be taking today? I think, the main, I think the, the main thing, and I think Dr. Joe would say this as well from the Age Lab, is, is we need to talk about these types of things, right? Because often the, we don't like to talk about aging. We don't want to envision ourselves as old. Therefore, we, we never plan for it and we never prepare for it, right? I think having conversations with loved ones, with advisors, with friends and family, and again, being intentional about it, I think that's the biggest step because again, oftentimes just historically, we, we just sort of, we tend to be reactionary to issues around aging, right? We just avoid the topic. Well, then we're making decisions when we're in a state of uh, let's just say not an ideal state, right? Or we're reacting to an issue or something that happened. So the more we can anticipate future needs through conversations, we think is is a tremendous plan for ensuring that quality of life as we age. Yeah, I think too, you know, we're a society, at least here in the United States, that values youth. Um, yep. And I think there's 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 some benefits to that because I think you do want to keep yourself physically, you know, looking good and feeling healthy. But but you're missing the idea that that as people have spent more time walking around the planet, they've accumulated a massive degree of wisdom. And to the extent that you are feeling good and feeling healthy and feeling energetic, the ability to share that wisdom with those around you goes up exponentially. So I would just um, you know, I'd encourage yep. anybody to think that yeah, I think my my main takeaway is that um it's not you know, we're all going to get older and someday we're all, at some point we're all going to be in the ground. We know we're all going to the same place, but it's not inevitable that the tail end of our lives or the back end of the back 10 years has to be, has to be uh, you know, extremely diminished capacity. I just, that's just the science is proving that that's the case. Yes. And um, so to the extent that uh, anyone got something out of this conversation, I, I just encourage you to take one step towards, towards doing some things and make keeping your brain in optimal health. And I think a lot of other good things are going to follow that. I agree with that. And then I, the only thing I'd add, I'll go back to that, that positive mental attitude right around the, around the aging process, I think can, uh, can go a long way in, in a lot of different areas. Absolutely. Well, Bill, if people want to learn more about uh, MIT Age Lab around uh, what you're doing with them around, around Hartford, where do they go? Yep. You could go to uh, hartfordfunds.com, uh, our website. We've got links to our research from the MIT Age Lab. You can, you can Google, you know, the, the MIT Age Lab. Uh, Dr. Joe Coughlin's pretty active on Social media, he wrote, uh, writes a regular column for Forbes. And then Dr. Mark Milstein, uh, Retain Your Brain, he actually wrote a book uh, last, I think it came out right around this time last year called The Age-Proof Brain. So that's a great you know, little um, summary. It's a really easy read, but it goes over some of the, the tips uh, that we talked about today. And I'll tell you, I'll offer this out there. So for the first five people that uh, have listened through this podcast to the end and would like a copy of that book, I'd be happy to provide them with that. So Bill, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, great seeing you. Glad to uh, glad to have been here. You know, Brent, you always had the most fascinating conversations. You have really and truly the most interesting guest on podcast. I and I am and I'm always I sit here listening and shocked when they come to an end. As a matter of fact, my question though before we go is for Bill. And that is, do you tie your own bow tie? That's what oh I yes, know. oh a hundred percent, a hundred percent. No cl- no clip ons here. That's cheating. No, that would I would imagine that help your brain too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a, talk about frustration. Exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you what it does do is so you know I've been the industry conferences and events just a ton of them over the last couple of years, and you always remember Bill because of the bow tie. That's right. And, and it, it's it's basically become your personal style brand for sure. That's yeah, brand for sure. <laughs> you know, well, it's fun. Whenever I'm at a conference and, you know, after the meetings, cocktails come out and the bow tie comes, where's your bow tie? I'm like, all right, sorry. Yeah, it's, it's I'm not wearing yeah, the funny. bow tie all day long and at home and everything else. But you, you put it on for us today. So I appreciate yes. that, Bill. Yeah, you can't loosen the bow tie and undo the button. That's the only down. That's the biggest downside. You can't do the little the little loosen. So, yeah, <laughs> well, it's OK. We'll we'll forgive you for that. We'll forgive you yeah. that for that. Thank you so much, Bill and Brent. Thank All you right, so cool. much. Before we get out of here, though, Brent, I I'm not going to leave without letting people know how to get a hold of you. How, if you, they're interested in these conversations or they want to have a conversation with you, how do they get a hold of you? A couple ways in terms of social media. Um, the only social media platform I'm on, but I'm very active on, is LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Our number here in the office is 602-255-0555. Either myself or Andy or Kayla or Susan or somebody on the team will pick up and they pretty much know always how to reach me. Or you can find us online at uh, mpadvisorsaz.com or smartmoneysimplified.com. And there's tons of ways to get get a hold of us uh, through that channel as well. Fantastic. Thank you, Brent. And uh, listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you find this podcast as interesting as I find it. And I hope you're a subscriber. If you're not, hit the subscribe button. That's really easy. Hit the button. You'll be notified whenever Brent comes out with a new podcast. You won't miss one. And if you're so moved, rate rate it for us, will you? Rate it, share it, spread the word. Get the news about this podcast out there. On behalf of Brent and everybody at MP Advisors, I'm Bill Tucker, urging you to not wait, but live your best life today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.